0: One of the things that actually attracted me to this PDF problem is that it's what you might call embarrassingly parallel, right? Like it's or or it's task parallel. Every single PDF extraction that we're doing in that like live API environment is completely isolated from every other one, right? And you can you can consider them totally independently. There's no shared state or anything like that. So that meant that we could build our platform from day 1 in a way that just took advantage of that and was completely horizontally scalable out the gate. That means that we've never really had scaling problems. My name is Josh Lewis. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Sensible.
1: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lappart, and today how Josh Lewis built a way for you to be fast and flexible with extracting data from your documents. All this and more on Code Story. Josh Lewis was fascinated by computers in the late 80s and early 90s. In the early days, he was the neighborhood tech support fixing people's computers around the block. He quickly moved into programming, but moved off from technology in college, targeting philosophy and going to grad school. In doing research with the computer science component, he was pulled back into technology and went to work in Palo Alto. Outside of tech, he's a dad taking care of his young family. And also, he plays competitive drafts of Magic the Gathering, along with some tennis. At his last company, Josh experienced a recurring problem in spades, where account managers were spending large amounts of time with data entry of standardized forms and information. When he looked for the Twilio for PDFs, he couldn't find a tool to solve his problem. This is the creation story of Sensible.
0: Sensible is developer tools for turning PDFs into structured useful data. So it's primarily an API product, like you give us the bytes of a PDF and we give you back JSON telling you what's in the in the PDF. And the approach that we've taken to it is by building a query language for documents. Uh, so it's a set of primitives where you can easily describe how to go into a document and pull different pieces of information out of that document. And we have a whole user interface that lets you configure all that and publish the API endpoints and so forth. And so our customers are a lot of these mature industries like insurance or financial services or logistics where documents function almost as de facto API calls between businesses like a carrier gives a brokerage an insurance quote. And that's how I got into this is my last company I was working uh, at Newfront Insurance, which was a commercial insurance brokerage plus technology startup. I was one of the first few employees there working in engineering and product. We had this problem in spades where we had these trained licensed staff called account managers, uh, kind of like back office operations for an insurance brokerage, who by our measurements were spending a lot of their time doing data entry on documents that we were getting back from carriers. We said to ourselves, okay, let's, we should be able to automate this, use software to pull that out and have our account managers working on things that are more important to our clients, you know, these higher touch, higher impact activities. Naively at the time, I thought, okay, well, surely there's great SaaS for this. I'm going to go out and find the Twilio for PDFs and s- solve this in a week. And we really didn't find that. There's a lot of like heavy enterprise stuff. There's a lot of verticalized stuff where they wanted to do like workflow facilitation and be the system of record. And that's what, not what we wanted. We just wanted a tool. So we ended up rolling our own and I built a good chunk of that and took this like kind of query language approach implicitly in how we went about building it internally and so that just stuck with me fast forwarding 2 years i had recently left newfront and this was like right before the start of the pandemic and was thinking back on that time what did i see that was a really gnarly problem to solve and this one stood out so I went back and looked at the market again. Has someone started doing this in the past two years? Still didn't see the type of thing that I wanted to buy as a developer at Newfront. And that was really the the inspiration for Sensible. And then my co-founder, Ming, she and I both shared this desire to go find some like really gnarly B2B SaaS problem and just grind it to the ground. And you don't get gnarlier than PDFs, so, so it fit with our what we kind of saw ourselves as working on as founders.
1: Well, tell me about the MVP. So tell me about that first product you built. How long did it take to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: It started off super simple with just a pure API product, no UI, no nothing. And we started working on that product in, in earnest in October, 2020. So we had decided to work together, Ming and I, in in August of that year, and then built like a prototype and raised a pre-seed round of funding and closed that in October, and then started building the initial product in earnest. It took us about two months actually to go from starting building to having our first two paying customers. And we did that by doing two things. One, again, being API only. So this was just a service that people could use programmatically. And there's no UI, no nothing. We had the world's like, we had like, you know, one line of text on our website. And then the second thing we did, I mentioned this query language approach. Well, there's this real kind of chicken and egg problem with starting in something like this, which is like, well, what what's the world of PDFs that are out there that businesses actually use? What are the different data representations that you find in those PDFs? And therefore, what are the primitives that you need in a query language to go uh, fetch those data that, that you're trying to pull out? And you don't know that at the outset. It's like hard to get a large data set of real world uh, you know, insurance policy data or something like that. So what we did is we said, hey, look, just share the documents that you need structured data out of. And in a week or two, we're going to give you an API endpoint where you give us one of those documents to that endpoint and you'll get back the data that you want. So we did it as a total like white glove service. But in the background, what we were doing is building out this query language to do it. So we were doing it in this very generalized way under the hood. um, And that was setting us up to ultimately have a much more fleshed out product down the line.
1: With the MVP... You have to make certain decisions and trade-offs around feature cut, technical debt, like accepting, how you're going to build something. Tell me about some of those that you had to work through and how you cope with those decisions.
0: One of the bigger trade-offs was not exposing that query language right out the gate. And that was, we, we were forced into that because it was so immature. And then I guess the other thing that I look at in retrospect is we've since done like SOC 2 type 2 security compliance and a lot of like I dotting and T crossing. We never did anything that was like obviously insecure, but we didn't put in the legwork out the gate to do like all like all the encryption at rest and all these things that you do in AWS to comply with those those uh, standards. So I could see that as another form of, of a shortcut in the MVP.
1: So from that point then, how did you progress the product and mature it? And I think what I'm interested in, in a little more context around how you built your roadmap and how you decided and decide today, you know, this is the next most important thing to build.
0: The end goal that we were shooting for, and we knew this at the outset, is we wanted to get to the place where someone could come to our website, sign up for Sensible, and get their document onboarded and supported by a live API endpoint in the course of an afternoon. We had to do two main things. The first thing we needed to do was make this query language available to our users, and that meant building a whole almost like IDE, like developer UI for uh, writing in this language. And then the second thing we needed to do was all the stuff around self-serve. You know, the ability to sign up and the ability to pay us and the ability to do volume billing and all this kind of stuff because all of our early customers were more like enterprise sales deals, essentially, where we signed a contract and then we did manual billing for them. So that was the North Star is how do we get to this point where people don't even need to talk to us to use Sensible? The next step This API product was building out that UI, building a true website and kind of putting a better face forward to the world. So we have that North Star, but then there's a lot of there's a lot of nuts and bolts, right? Like what particular features do we build into the product? What documents do we try to handle versus which ones do we say, hey, not now? I think the main tension that we run into as a company when we're doing product development is that tension between explore and exploit, right? Like are we trying to do things that are new things adjacent to the core product? And examples of that might be, oh, a UI for human reviewers to check the machine extraction or fancy features for doing data extraction from free text. Validation layers, document generation. Instead of getting data out of documents, there's this whole there's this whole world of adjacent things that we we know could be valuable for our customers, but aren't super duper related to the core product. And then the exploit side is just making that core product better and better and better, like better primitives in the query language, better experience in the management interface, and in the editor. And so that's really the challenge. I think we've leaned towards the ladder and been guided by our customers. What's What's great about working in this problem space is that people just bring the problems to you, right? They bring a difficult document to you. And so you have this steady stream from the real world of almost like problem statements that turn into roadmap. In the early early 2021, let's say, when we were developing the UI and all that. It was still the case that many new documents that we got, we had to build new things into the query language in order to support those documents and successfully extract them. Fast forward to today, it is extremely rare that there's a document that we can't just handle with what we've already built out of the box. And so that's a result of listening to the market or listening to the data set, so to speak, as we've become more and more knowledgeable about the world of of possible documents out there.
1: Okay. Well then let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you?
0: I'm, I'm a big believer in life is long and careers are long and and you definitely want to build up that group of people that you've enjoyed working with. And and they've likewise enjoyed working with you. Fully a third of the folks that work at sensible are, are people that I've worked with in the past and in one case, multiple times. So that's I think that's a part of the fact that there's this kind of clubby networky nature to to the Bay Area Bay Area, Bay Area tech scene. But it's also a real superpower, right? If you if you know folks that are great people to work with and, and who do good work, the flip side of that is you need to be able to find people that will be those people in, in the future for you, right? We've done a couple things. I mean, one thing I did at New Front is we started working with a recruiter who specializes in, in finding talent in uh, Latin America. And we hired two amazing engineers from Chile uh, while I was at New Front uh, that are still there. And so I worked with the same a company, Matilda Explorations, with Sensible, and we've hired a couple awesome folks from Argentina, including one of the, I've worked with a lot of talented engineers over the years, and, and this person's like 95th percentile plus. That's an opportunity to broaden the, the horizons of where you're searching for talent, and then creating a very positive experience for folks that, that are coming from different backgrounds and aren't part of the, the, the Bay Area scene. I think with engineering hiring, we're kind of lucky because there's at least relatively quantitative ways to evaluate folks. And I know this is kind of frowned upon in some circles, but we do this little take home thing and we see it as bi-directional because it's you're implementing stuff that we implemented at the very beginning of the platform. And so not only do we see how you think, but you learn what it's actually like to build software at Sensible and the, the real kinds of problems that we solve. I think that helps too, when you're trying to identify new talent in engineering is that you can do it in these very quantitative, realistic ways. When you move outside to like marketing or customer success or other roles within the company, then it's a little bit more challenging because it, it tends to be a little bit more qualitative of an, of an evaluation. But I always look at, hey, am I am I loving talking to this person? Do I feel like I'm having new ideas or, or building up energy by talking to this person? And can they show me that they've historically done great work uh, are all things that I think about.
1: So let's flip to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction?
0: So one thing that I was playing around with in the time between NewFront and starting Sensible was like just like AWS infrastructure stuff and, and Lambdas and all this. And I had built a little prototype project for another startup that I, I was considering building One of the things that actually attracted me to this PDF problem is that it's what you might call embarrassingly parallel, right? Like it's, or or it's task parallel. Every single PDF extraction that we're doing in that like live API environment is completely isolated from every other one, right? And you can, you can consider them totally independently. There's no shared state or anything like that. So that meant that we could build our platform from day one in a way that just took advantage of that and was completely horizontally scalable out the gate. So technology-wise, we're fundamentally like API gateway in front of lambdas backing onto a combination of S3 and DynamoDB. And that means that we've never really had scaling problems. I think the, the way that we've gotten bitten by scaling problems is getting rate limited by downstream stuff. So we don't do our own OCR, which makes a ton of sense, right? If you think about it, the document data extraction problem, there's kind of two layers to it. One is what is the text that's in the document? And then the second is what does that text mean, right? And so we're very focused on that latter case, like how do you get structure out of the raw text? And most PDFs are true PDFs, you don't even need to do OCR, you just pull the text out. So we use these third-party OCR services, actually all of Google, Amazon and Microsoft's and they will rate limit you. And so we've we've had moments where we've had to do like um, just like smarter like exponential back off stuff so that we don't get rate limited downstream and then that impacts our customers. Otherwise, we've never run into, we've had people accidentally run like really gnarly scripts against us and send us like insane volume. Because of the way that we built it from the start, it's not really a problem.
1: As you step out on the balcony, and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of?
0: Well we're we're still early on here. I mean, I don't know if I'm on the balcony, I'm more like on the battlefield looking looking left and right.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> But <love it. laughs>
0: I think the thing the thing that's most satisfying to me is seeing customers just get core value out of the product and, and one proxy for that is just people using the API, right? And so I I remember when we first set this up, I think our first week of uh, having any customer using us, we got like eight API calls and that was all exciting. I went in and I saw the log from like the, the two calls or whatever, you know? And now I can just dip into AWS at any moment and there's just like, you know, data streaming through and customers getting back 200 codes. You know, I'm just like, oh man, it's, it's, it's beautiful, right? So that right now is the most exciting thing to me is just seeing the system that we built and that it used to just be crickets now serving dozens of customers and, and you know, thousands and thousands of, of live extractions. It's, it's very, um, very rewarding.
1: Let's flip the script a little bit. So tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: When I think of mistakes that we've made, I think mainly of, of things that you'd put in the bucket of product. It's possible to make engineering mistakes. I normally try to think of those in from a process perspective, right? So like if we um, have an outage, when that happens, it's really not a question of like, oh, someone made a programming error or the reviewer didn't catch it. It's a lot more about the processes that we have in place to like test and review something before it goes to production. And we do just extensive testing, right? We've got like multiple forms of testing, unit tests, end to end tests. We have these uh, what we call golden extractions where we have hundreds of PDFs where we know what the output of those PDFs should be. So if we make a change to the core engine, we notice immediately if that, what we could, you know, quote unquote, jitters the goldens, which should make it very unlikely for us to ship something that unintentionally breaks our customers. So there are potential engineering failures, but I always see those as as process failures. From more of a mistake standpoint, I, I turn it more back to product building the wrong thing or building the right thing at the wrong time. And that also goes back to what I mentioned earlier with explore versus exploit, where I think we did some exploration that didn't really net us any value. So we took a reasonable amount of time to build some beta, like document generation tech, because we had heard this as an ask from some of our customers. And we haven't been able to find a lot of commercial traction with that. I know that there's a a market for that, but the amount of effort that we need to put in and despite it being the flip side of the coin from pulling data out of documents, it's technically completely dissimilar. I just don't know that it's worth it for us to go and, and find the commercial traction there versus doing things that are, that are more adjacent to what, we, what we're already doing. There's a couple of examples of that. I mean, one that I pushed for was adding a flexible like validation layer on top of the extractions. And it's great from a sales demo standpoint, but I don't know that that many of our customers are really like actively using it or actively getting value out of it. And so these are the kind of things that I look at as, in retrospect, their product mistakes because we could have used those engineering resources to do something more valuable. That said, you can't just do no exploration and definitionally the exploration stuff is going to be less likely to find immediate traction. Uh, So we have to have a comfort level with that, but that is what I think about when I think about mistakes thus far.
1: So what does the future look like for the sensible product and for
0: your team? The immediate future for us that I'm excited about is one thing we've learned from looking at the search traffic that ends up pointing towards us and talking to a, a certain group of our customers is that getting from PDF, not just to JSON, getting to JSON in a structured way is very useful to an engineer. But for a lot of people that are more in like an operations role, getting to a spreadsheet, is actually quite valuable there's use cases in uh, insurance for example there's something called a loss run which is a history of all the claims that you've made against an insurance policy over the years and it's very important in underwriting a risk like if you're switching carriers or something like that they want to see your historical loss runs there are very complex documents that can have dozens hundreds even low thousands of data elements that you need to pull out and they, each carrier generates them in their own format. It would be tremendously valuable to Ops folks to be able to take these things, regardless of which carrier they came from, and just like put them in a spreadsheet format for, for analysis. And now that's a little bit less technical. It's a little bit less developer-focused. But it's something where, to do that, you need to solve the extremely hard problem that we've already solved, which is how do you go from the PDF to structured data. And so there's not a lot of good solutions for that out there. So I'm pretty enthusiastic about that as a very near-term feature for us that solves a problem in the real world that, again, is, is pretty uncool, uh, but people, I believe, experience acutely. Looking more broadly, what we're doing as a company is we're bringing software closer to the way that people work every day. I think one thing, if you're a technologist that comes into these mature industries like insurance, like healthcare, like logistics, you have this, this boggle moment where you're like, wait a second, why is it that these industries are still passing documents around? Why haven't they, we had the technology for decades to move folks over to more of like an API based way of interacting with, with one another and what that misses is the real work the documents do above and beyond what an api can do for for these incumbents in mature industries so if you're back to the insurance carrier if you're an insurance carrier one of the ways that you innovate as a company is by offering coverage that's uh, different in some way from your competitors like it has this cool new coverage or it doesn't have this weird exclusion or it does have some other weird exclusion but it's cheaper or whatever If you don't control the data model, like if you're using some centralized API within the industry, you are constrained in your own ability to innovate. The things that are preventing companies from mass migrating in these mature industries to APIs, it's not just people being Luddites or a lack of technical skill or a lack of the technology being available. It's that that approach to doing business to business transactions doesn't provide the same affordances that you get with documents, this ability to control the data model, to control the presentation layer, to have a very clear source of truth relationship to like legal reality. And so I almost flipped that question of like, it's not how do we get these industries to move to APIs, it's how do we bring software closer to the way that they all already work. That's what we should be doing as technologists, is taking these, the way that these businesses work, things like documents, and making them transparently accessible to software. And that brings us into this future that we all know is coming and, and partially here, which is operations as software, right? Like all these business workflows, these are things that really need to be software mediated and it takes technology like sensibles again kind of like low to the ground slightly gnarly software to to really accomplish that because you're not gonna accomplish it by building some techno utopia api and magically having all these incumbents migrate to it
1: so let's switch to you who influences the way that you work name a ceo cto architect really any person you look up to and why
0: so I'll, i'll go slightly off script and go with a politician not to make you nervous here but uh, a local politician Uh, so in in san francisco our our uh our state senator is uh is scott weiner he is interesting to me among politicians because he's taken a very pragmatic approach and i don't know all his positions on all issues but to very real problems that we have in the in the bay area so he's one of the main proponents behind uh, streamlining the ability to build dense housing near Transit, Uh, he's worked on and I think successfully passed a a bill for the state of California to make it easier for the state to put people who are experiencing mental illness, severe mental illness or or severe substance abuse problems into conservatorship. He's trying to get last call pushback from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. So he just he takes these problems, these very real problems that we have as a society and as a region and approaches them in a in a very pragmatic, almost kind of boring way, right? Like legislating in some ways is is deeply boring. That's one of the the challenges with it uh, in a in a democracy. And I really appreciate that, right, because a lot of politics is about politics itself as opposed to legislating, as opposed to solving real problems for constituents. So again, not some sort of endorsement, but just say, you know, when I try to think about, oh, man, what would it be like to be in politics? I'd want to be that type of person that is that is just trying to solve real problems. And you can take that back to, as a, as a leader in a company, staying grounded to like, hey, are you moving the company closer to its goal of solving real problems for its customers, or are you getting caught up in all the stuff around it?
1: We talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin, and it may be similar, but if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: If you point sample me right now, the thing that we're very focused on and we've made a lot of progress on and maybe we could have done it even sooner is like that enterprise angle where we did a really great job out the gate of building software and working with a whole bunch of different startups. And it's important for us as a business to find those use cases also where there are true enterprise use cases, right? And people are doing, you know as an individual entity, you know, hundreds of thousands of documents a month or something like that. And so there's a lot of features like we recently launched the ability to to, uh, deploy Sensible to any AWS region of your choosing. We've done custom retention policies. We can do custom SLAs. We've got our SOC 2 Type 2 security compliance. We've done a lot of I-dotting and T-crossing. We're working on SSO. I might go back and and move that stuff forward. It's tough to do that because there's a lot of overhead to building enterprise features. And you kind of are in this state where you're like, I wanna, I wanna prove out that what we're building is valuable before I prematurely build out a bunch of enterprise stuff, right? Because that's, that's a colossal waste of time if you build a bunch of enterprise features around something that's actually, doesn't have product market fit. But then you get to where we are now, where you've got dozens of customers and you're trying to uh, aggressively fill out the top of the funnel market, then you're like, man, if we could have like pulled forward some of those efforts, it, it would have been good just from, a, from like a progress and timeline perspective. So that's one thing to think about.
1: Well, last question, Josh. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it to you right there on the plane. Their, their gnarly problem that they went out and solved. How, what advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: I first learned this in retrospect about grad school. So I was in academia for, for a while. And in retrospect, at the time I thought, this is just the battle of ideas. You know, It's the battle of who can like come up with the coolest stuff or the most surprising stuff. When really it was also about your own personal brand and like getting your name out there and networking at conferences. And I was a little bit more of, you know, I'm just writing my papers and I'd give my talk at a conference or whatever, but I wasn't seeing it as this brand building exercise. And similarly, if you're someone who is building something, I just always say, Hey, pay attention to that, like sales and marketing side of it as well. And get experience with that if possible. My first job out of grad school at Ayazdi, I was very lucky to be identified as someone to be brought along on sales calls and get put into situations where I'm helping to pitch the the prospect and get some exposure to that that sales part of the industry. And that has been invaluable. Again, as someone who who since middle school has been extremely rounded in more the technology and the software side of it all. So that's the only nudge I'd give is don't sleep on the soft side of building a company or building a product and, and value those sales and marketing skills, find partners, find mentors around that and, 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 and build up your own skills.
1: Fantastic advice. Well, Josh, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for telling the creation story of sensible.
0: Awesome. Thanks Noah.
1: And this concludes another chapter of code story.